This is Upstate's HealthLink on air. Linda Cohen here with you. Infective endocarditis was once a killer, but with many breakthroughs in medical science, it is now a curable but rarely preventable disease. Here with a historical look at this disease and how the treatments evolved for it are Dr. Harold Smullyan, Emeritus Professor of Medicine in the Division of Cardiology, and Dr. Donald Blair, Professor of Medicine in Infectious Disease Division, both from Upstate Medical University. Welcome to you both. Thanks so much for coming in. So you both have jointly published, recently published a historical retrospective of this disease in the August issue of the American Journal of Medical Sciences. Dr. Smolian, what prompted you to want to do this kind of look back or historical retrospective on infective endocarditis? Well, I retired from active practice a couple of years ago, and um, doing these historical retrospectives offers me the opportunity to keep busy and uh, go back into the diseases that interested me when I was active. And infective endocarditis was one of those diseases. Yes, it was. It was a disease that involved both infectious disease and cardiology, which resulted in our working together on this project. So, Dr. Blair, that's a perfect segue. Help us understand what, when we say infective endocarditis, what are we talking about? The uh, word endocarditis, card actually is heart, Endo means the inside of the heart, and it's the inner lining of the heart and all of its structures. Um, it's a very thin layer of tissue, and it gets, it's prone to getting infected with bacteria that circulate in the blood. We all have bacteremia, that is, uh, bacteria in our blood every day. And for some reason, they stick to various parts of this endocardium, and then occasionally cause infections and leads to this disease. How early do we have records, Dr. Smolian, of this existing, roughly? I mean, do, when, we, when we look back in history, as you went back historically, when were you finding that this was begun to be reported as a problem? We began uh, our account of the history of this disease in um, roughly 1800 to 1850 when autopsies were first beginning to be done. And the uh, autopsies showed these growths on the inside of the heart and the heart valves. And that was the first indication that there was such a thing, but it took a number of years before it became clear that these growths were due to bacteria and an infection on the heart. And were they pres the presumptive reason why the individual died? In other words, were these infections fatal? Yes, this is, before the development of antibiotics, this disease was uniformly fatal. So when we talk about that, when you say before antibiotics, I mean, was that a particular kind of tipping point in the history of this disease, the before versus the after? Very much so. The very first uh, systemic antibiotics um, were in the early 30s, late 20s, or early 30s. 19, and uh, that was the, one of the sulfa drugs, or several of the sulfa drugs. And uh, bacteria quickly became resistant to that. But in the 40s, early 40s, 1940, uh, penicillin became available. And penicillin kills bacteria very uh, quickly. And it, they were all sensitive at that time. And that's when cures began to be seen with many infections, including endocarditis. So prior to that, obviously, if you got a serious infection like that, could your body naturally, your own immune system, fight it off? Or were they so powerful, these infections, that you really, they really le basically led to death? 
I'm always wary about this powerful infection thing, but basically I view it this way. If you have a bacterial infection uh, such as in the urinary tract or an abscess, that is uh, readily treatable and oftentimes is cured just with surgery or just with drainage or just with increased uh, water up intake and so forth. But for infection of the lining of the heart, uh, there were no spontaneous cures. To our knowledge, there were no spontaneous cures. It was universally fatal, as Dr. Smolian said. So somewhere in the article, I saw the name Sir William Ostler, and I got the feeling he was a crucial figure, not only in medicine at large, but particularly in the history of this disease entity. Tell me about him. Well, he described it so well that in many parts of the world, the disease is still called Osler's disease. Um, he, uh, he gained his fame by uh, giving a series of lectures uh, at the University of Oxford, and I think the year was 1885 uh, that he gave those lectures. And in those series of lectures, he, he organized the many, many reports that were in the literature and sort of collected them into a, um, a whole unit that defined the disease. And he continued to write about the disease for the rest of his career. So he, uh, he p sort of put the disease on the medical map where it had just been collected cases before that. And he, did he live into the time when antibiotics were then available? No, he didn't. So his, this was his existence and his, the story of the disease was basically pre-antibiotic treatments. It was. So what were the breakthroughs that made the biggest difference in addition to antibiotics? Were there other medical breakthroughs that made a difference in the treatment of this disease? Well, I'll uh, step in for cardiology on that score because the development of echocardiogra echocardiography enabled us to actually look at the, uh, the valves and the inside of the heart and to see these infections uh, almost directly. And that gave us the opportunity to um, to make the diagnosis in addition to the clinical suspicions that had uh, led up to that point. So up until the, when was that, that the echocardiography was um, available? That was in the 1970s. So that between 1940 and 1970, what was the, the treatment of choice? Uh, well, uh, before we get to the treatment, the, the, diagnos the diagnosis was made by blood cultures. And um, blood cultures have been done for maybe maybe a hundred years, but not commonly, and they became more common the later into the 20th century uh, we got, um, and it became pretty well defined that you needed at least three uh, sequential blood cultures. Actually, it was the volume of the blood that you cultured that correlated best with the identification of the bacteria. So you could isolate the bacteria causing the infection, and then you could test its sensitivity to the available antibiotics, and then you could treat, um, and the appropriate length of treatment evolved, and it differs from bacteria to bacteria and sensitivity to sensitivity, but uh, that's all been pretty well defined. Uh, so that was perhaps the first technical thing that made a, a big difference with this disease, and certainly the echocardiogram uh, advanced the, the diagnosis. So you could confirm the fact that something actually was growing there. You not only could confirm it, you could define exactly where the problem was, which valve, 
how how bad was the valve damaged, um, which uh, got you into the uh, issue of replacing valves. And I'm going to ask you to hold that thought. If you're just joining us, you're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on air. I'm Linda Cohen along with cardiologist Dr. Harold Smullyan and infectious disease specialist Dr. Donald Blair. We're talking about infective endocarditis, its history, and where it stands today. So go on, Dr. Blair. You were saying? Basically that um, uh, with the antibiotics, we, you know, make great advances, but with the uh, advent of echocardiogram, that's when we were able to refine it and, and do a better job of deciding uh, when valves needed to be replaced and so forth. And this is really Dr. Smolian's uh, yeah. area. Yeah, so Dr. Smolian, it seems to me, though, that in order for them to even talk about valve replacement, surgical interventions had to have improved quite significantly. So tell us how surgery played a role. Well, it's very interesting because the actual first cures of endocarditis uh, were, uh, were surgical uh, due to the ligation of an abnormal connection at birth between the uh, two major arteries of the body. Later on, it became possible to cure the infection with antibiotics, but the infection left the valve so damaged that the patients had heart disease um, after the infection was cured. And it was only until uh, valve replacement surgery came along uh, that it was possible to not only cure the infection, but to replace the abnormal valve. So today, what is happening? It still exists because I think, as I said in the beginning, it can be cured, but it's not preventable, and it still is occurring. Am I correct? That's correct. So what is the standard of care or treatment these days? Well, I think the standard of care is still antibiotics and uh, and the removal of uh, infected material and replacement of uh, abnormal valves. Uh, the problem today is that the disease has changed in the last number of years. Not only have the organisms changed and the antibiotics changed, and Dr. Blair can talk about that better than I, uh, but the disease now occurs in older people and people with other diseases such as kidney disease and in those patients who have had implanted materials inside their heart like pacemakers and abnormal. Yeah, now what, what about those implanted devices leaves you more susceptible to something like infective endocarditis? When bacteria have a uh, inanimate surface to adhere to, they're almost impossible to cure with antibiotics. They form um, a, a malure on their own where they can hide and the antibiotics have great difficulty killing them. And that is, that's the basic problem with trying to treat infected um, items that we put into the, uh, into the heart. The other complication or con thing that has made this worse is bacteria become more resistant. And we've moved from the rather easy to treat streptococcus to the much more difficult to treat staphylococcus and the so-called gram-negative rods, the kind that we think of as causing urinary tract infections. And resistant bacteria are the big issue now. And that's true, excuse me for interrupting, but that's true not just with infective endocarditis, right. but that's true in all of your right. world of infectious right. disease. And from the ID perspective, we see bacteria in the blood all the time. We get consulted for bacteremia. And our biggest issue is trying to help decide 
is it due to endocarditis or not? So the first, you know, what can we do about it? You have to think about it. And then you can go working with cardiology. You can do the proper diagnostic maneuvers. So once you've diagnosed it these days, is it the same drill in terms of trying to treat with antibiotics? And, and if not, do you need to remove the infected apparatus, for example? Uh, my brief answer is yes, but I'll let Dr. Smoyan talk about the apparatus. Well, I guess it depends in some measure on why it was put in. Uh, in some instances, it's put in as a life-saving measure, and uh, it would be difficult to, to remove and leave out. It can be removed and replaced uh, once the infection is cured. So that would be the goal, to obviously figure out. And as you said, the, ch the challenge for infectious disease these days is staying ahead of the bugs, isn't mm, it? That's correct. That is correct. And isn't that one of the reasons why you would be less apt to try to do prophylactic antibiotic treatment? In other words, treat in advance? Well, that, <clears throat> but also more specifically because it doesn't work. And we went through decades of assuming it would work and then developing the right regimens and so forth only to find that it really doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And... Um, that's been hard for a lot of medicine to accept that you can't prevent, but you really can't. And uh, that's part of this that's a challenge. disease. That's a challenge. Yeah. That's a challenge. So in looking at this little bit of time we have left, looking at this overview, what's the takeaway from looking at a history of a disease like this? Is there more research that needs to be done? I mean, how has medicine evolved? I think it's looking backward, it's remarkable on how far we've come. Um, but the future is that uh, with all the new risks, it's become a different disease, and we have to find ways of uh, treating it in, in new ways and uh, avoiding it if possible. It's a constant challenge. Thank you both so much for coming in. My guests have been Dr. Harold Smolian. He's the Emeritus Professor of Medicine at, in, in Cardiology, and Dr. Donald Blair, a Professor of Medicine and Infectious Diseases at Upstate Medical University. I'm Linda Cohen. You're listening to Upstate's HealthLink on Air.